Lust. A passionate or strong desire for someone or something. What's the first thing you think of when you hear the word lust? Sure, the first definition that comes to mind is the sensual desire you have for someone. But what if lust was more than just a sensual desire? What if there were different versions of lust? This week, we're talking about how lust can even be used within the walls of church. Sometimes we tend to lust after other members who are part of other churches that we forget about the relationships we have at our churches. It can feel like we're constantly playing a numbers game with people. When we lust after other people, we forget that there are true relationships at hand. Instead of focusing on reaching other people, we tend to ignore the relationships that we've already cultivated in our community. Sure, there's nothing wrong with wanting to add to your church community, but when our mindset shifts from the relationships we already have, our lust becomes greater than our love for others. We are for the spiritual nomads, the outcasts, and the ones who desire to ask the hard questions. A shelter in the desert, a safe place to share our thoughts, our hopes, and our dreams. We are pursuing the truth, and we don't care about the consequences. We invite you to come and sit at our table and be a part of our tribe. We are brave, we are bold, we are the Reckless Pursuit. Hey everyone, welcome to The Reckless Pursuit. My name is Cody. And my name is Elaine. And we are your hosts. And today is our 50th episode. That's right, we are 5-0 in, halfway to 100. Elaine, how does it feel to be halfway to 100 episodes, that is? It makes me feel, one, excited um, because we have like kind of a new vision, a new purpose for this podcast. I remember about a year ago, just even discussing whether or not we were going to start a podcast, what that looked like. And so part of me is like, I can't believe that it's been 50 episodes already. And another part of me is like, we do this every single week. And so it feels like we've been doing this for a long time, but I'm really excited about our next 50 episodes. Oh man, it's really cool. Uh, We're almost going on a year and it'll be a year pretty soon. And that's just, that's just wild that we're 50 episodes in. We're halfway to 100. That's like a huge milestone. I feel like I need like one of those little party blowers to, <laughs> to like ring it in. It's like mm-hmm. a new, a new season. We should throw um, an online party, live party, get some balloons, invite some friends over, have some cake or donuts or ice cream or something. I'll let you arrange that. Okay. I think it'd be really fun. <laughs> oh man. So guys, today we are talking about... Um, well, really, today's an intro topic for the entire month of February. The love month. The love month. Or for all of you November babies like Elaine, it's uh, Conception Awareness Month here in Thank February. Thank you for that. Yes. Thank you. This is why I am here. This month is because <laughs> why I have, I was born. Yes. So if you were born in November, <laughs> well, you know, just let you kind of, you know, Valentine's Day, it's a, the love month for a reason. Yes. And uh, we're going to be talking about love, but not just love as much as we're talking about uh, lust and the opposites of love and porn culture and sex culture and hypersexualization. There's a lot of really big topics coming up uh, in the next three episodes after this one. And today is just kind of a prerequisite to all of that. We're talking about lust, but we're not getting into all of the... uh, I was going to say juicy details, but that meant maybe mm. <laughs> might not be the right word to use. Let's that. not <laughs> use that verbiage <laughs> ever again. <laughs> it's 
especially on this podcast. <laughs> oh, man. We're not going to get into all of those details yet. But we were talking about lust from the church's point of view. No, I don't mean like how does the church feel about lust. I mean the way the church lusts after people. It's going to be an interesting episode. Uh, Elena and I are just going to share our heart uh, as it just kind of a doorway opening up to all of what this next month is going to be. We're really excited about it. We have some great things planned, and it's going to be heavy. It's going to be deep, but it's going to be refreshing, and it's going to be good because people just don't talk about this. Church culture, Christian culture shuns these conversations, and uh, yeah, we're about to blow the lid off all this crap. So that being said, before we get into today's episode, let's go ahead and do our Reckless Roundup. That's right, Reckless Roundup, the best way to get up to date with all your out-of-the-box religious news. Elaine, who do you want to go first, me or you? You can go first. Okay. So mine is kind of actually a recap article. It comes from pathios.com, and the article is titled, Jesus Would Have Been Put in a Lunatic Asylum, Said Famous Physician. And, uh, yeah, so this is kind of just a recap of, I guess, like a famous, I don't know if he's famous, I never, I've never heard of the dude, but, um, there was a man, a physician by the name of Havelock Ellis, born in 1859, he was a socialist, so he's got that going for him, I guess, if you're into socialism, he might be your kind of guy, and he, early in his 20th century, in a, or early in the 20th century, in a, I guess, a an article he wrote or a paper he wrote called Impressions and Comments. He said, Had there been a lunatic asylum in the suburbs of Jerusalem, Jesus Christ would infallibly have been shut up in it at the outset of his public career. That interview with Satan on a pinnacle of the temple would alone have damned him and everything that happened after could have confirmed the diagnosis. The whole religious complexion of the modern world is due to the absence from Jerusalem of a lunatic asylum. So there's a whole lot of other stuff talking about his uh, just genuine progressiveness uh, for his time. Uh, he has a lot of other stuff. Wrote a lot of stuff about sexual things. So, hey, it kind of plays into the whole love month. Uh, yeah, so... Basically, he's saying the entire Christian faith can be summed up to the fact that Jerusalem didn't have a lunatic asylum where they locked away the crazies. How does that make you feel, Elaine? To say that Jesus was a crazy and we're sitting here right now because of an insane person. I mean, I'm sure to some people, Jesus was crazy. Well, obviously, to uh, whoever this dude is, what's his name? Havelock Ellis, he's crazy. I mean, I don't think Jesus would be in a sane asylum. I think Jerusalem had a sane asylum. I'm sure Jerusalem had places they sent crazy people. Didn't they typically just banish them out of the city? Didn't Jesus, like, so. encounter a lot of crazy people and, like, casted demons out of people who, like, people thought were crazy and healed them and stuff? I mean, basically, all of the outcasts that people banished from their cities, Jesus was like, yo, I love you. And kind of helped them. So he's guilty by association. I guess so. <laughs> no, because he made them better and was like, sin no more and healed them and everything. So I don't think if he's if 
If Jesus is crazy for loving the quote unlovable, then sure, maybe he would be in a sane asylum. Why do we call it insane instead of outsane? Because if you're in sanity, wouldn't that mean you were contained within the realms of sanity? That's it. You're going to an insane asylum. <laughs> Crap. That's the, that was the final straw. Darn. I have no idea. <laughs> I guess I went out soon. Me and Jesus both. <laughs> well, cool. That's fine. I mean, I want to be where Jesus is. Didn't you go to school because you wanted to do that? I actually did. <laughs> I went to school to get my psychology degree because I wanted to help people in mental hospitals and help the, quote, crazy people. WWJD. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Jesus got himself committed just to, to Yeah, I'll, to I'll meet Jesus in there. Cool. All right. Well, I don't know if I really care much about what uh, Ellis has to say there, but it was interesting to hear from him. Anyway, what's your article, Elaine? So basically, I saw this floating around, so it wasn't really an article per se, but I did find an article link for it. But that Donald Trump is actually trying to pass a bill where kids in public schools are able to take Bible classes as an elective. I saw a thing in Mississippi and another, I don't remember where the other place was, but both of them were trying to kind of pass similar bills in in lieu of that. Mm -hmm. So The actual article that I was reading, I don't necessarily remember if it was Donald Trump or um, somebody in the whole process, but they're basically saying how um, like you have to have so many credits to graduate high school and like you have to take so many history classes and how they were um, trying to um, allow students to take Bible classes in lieu of certain history classes so they would actually get to pick. Um, but it caught my interest because the first thing that I saw was actually this morning. I was scrolling on Facebook and somebody had shared um, his tweet or whatever it was um, about him trying to pass the law. And she was saying, like, this is so great. Uh Donald Trump's trying to bring God back into our schools where our foundation was. And then there was like this long debate about, well, what about world religions or why should my money go and pay teachers to teach my kids about the Bible? Um, the separation of church and state. You can, if you want to learn more about Jesus and his teachings, just go to church. But why do you I have to pay teachers to teach it and all this stuff. And I was just like, okay, that's crazy. So, <laughs> I mean, I'm not against, for one, for one, of course not against, like, having a historical Bible class in public schools. I'm also not against, like, having a world religion class or anything like well, that. Well, I know one schools. of the arguments was um, that they would have to make sure that I was in elective that the students chose themselves and not some like indoctrination where teachers could start spewing their opinions and like make the kids want to believe this or make the kids have to read it because it was an elective. But it was literally just going back and forth of like, well, it's an elective. They wouldn't have to. And then it's like, well, you have the choice of taking them to church. I don't want my kids to have to fill their force. There's just a lot of back and forth. Right. Even though it would still be an elective. Right. Yeah. I'm just know. saying. 
But I thought that was pretty interesting that um, he's trying to pass that bill in the first place. Well, I don't know. It's interesting. Because I know whenever I was in high school, we didn't have like biblical studies class. But I do remember in some of my history classes, I think my senior year, uh, we actually did go over some things in history, uh, specifically, I guess, with like the Old Testament. But it was at the same time of other things that were happening. And so we kind of glossed over a little bit. And I, back in high school, I thought that was cool. But the fact that there's going to be, or that he's trying to have specific elective classes for this. If it happens, I guess it's like definitely not a bad thing. But I do understand other people's point of view too of like, hey, we need to have, you know, I guess the freedom to express all religions within, like you can't, isolate and et cetera, et cetera. Cause like other, there's other people who have different beliefs and as long as it's not being pushed on anyone though, I don't see what the big deal is personally. I think it's cool to use it as an elective to, to use it as like history lessons stuff mm-hmm. like that. And sometimes you can incorporate, you know, other events too with other religions too. Mm-hmm. Like it's not a big deal. Like I said, it wasn't necessarily serious, but it wasn't necessarily funny either. But I, I just thought it was interesting. Well, I think that about wraps up our reckless roundup. And if anyone ever has any crazy off-the-wall news regarding Christianity or religion in general, please feel free to email it to us at mail at com. We would love to read uh, the articles you found as well. So let's get right into today's topic on the lust of the church. So, Elaine, we were out hiking today. Uh, you know, it was a really pretty hike. Beautiful scenery, nice water, uh, like creek beds and waterfalls. And we were talking about today's episode and how we could just kind of gateway into, you know, this month in general. And this is the topic we came up with, and it's just the lust of the church. And I think it's interesting. If you sit here and look through the definitions of lust, there's a pretty long list. Uh, Most of them are sexual or passionate uh, you know, in some kind of way. But as you kind of get to the bottom of everything, it actually goes on to say a passionate desire for something, and it can be power, greed, eager, um, longing, hunger, thirst. You can have a lust for something like power, a power lust, or a feeling of strong desire for something, to covet something, right? Which is like one of the you know Ten Commandments, thou shalt not covet Thou shalt not lust for what someone else has. And, you know, we look at lust, and we're going to be talking about lust in the sensual sense, lusting after someone's body or uh, something like that. But we don't often talk about the other side of lust. And specifically, I want to talk about lust in the church. And what I kind of mean by that is, when you look at a lot of times in churches, they have a way of pursuing people on a very superficial level. And sometimes it feels like they're hunting people down to serve the bidding of the leadership or the pastor or uh, just the bidding of the church to push its agenda. And you would think, well, is the agenda, well, love people, you know, spread the love of God, spread the word of Christ. Well, no. 
a lot of times the agenda seems almost more of like, you know, stepping on some toes here, but a lot of times the agenda seems financial or power or, you know, dominance or something like that. So what, what are your feelings on that? Well, I feel like a lot of churches look at other churches, I guess specifically smaller churches, um, look at larger churches and have a lust for getting people in the seats. Yes, and that's very true. getting people to, like, it's all a number game. Pastors or leadership are worried about the numbers in their seats, the numbers of volunteers, the number of small groups and leadership and everything, and they just want more and more and more and more. Um, a lot of times I think even churches can be lustful of what other churches have aside from uh, people, but just like the light the facilities. shows. Yeah, facilities, the light shows, the, the conglomerate uh, water fountain in the front courtyard or whatever. Like, <laughs> the, I know that sounds fancy, but I, but it's serious. Like there are some churches uh, where the leadership just lusts over just how their building looks. Well, then there's a uh, leadership that lusts over the volunteer level or lust over the the quality of the message or the quality of the youth group or the quality of this quality of that and i love what you said for we can start with what you said first there's the numbers thing uh if you're in church any amount of time it's sad but at some point you will probably hear someone say like we had a great service today the building was packed it wasn't like you know we always use this uh this analogy or this uh we always use this whole numbers game to justify the quality of a service i was gonna say like you can have 200 people and fill up a room and it be just this kind of mundane didn't really get anything superficial message out of it and a lot of pastors would say yes we filled up the church but if you had this super powerful message that it was literally from the holy spirit god was speaking through you it was exactly what two people needed that filled up the seats. Only two people were there. Some of the leadership would say, oh, we didn't have a good Sunday. There was only two people that attended. Right. Yeah, because we, we often rate experiences based on turnout. You know, it's almost like when you throw the, the big party, it's like, well, oh, yeah, we had a ton of people show up for the party. It was great. It was a success. Or we had a ton of people show up for youth service tonight. It was a success. We have a ton of kids in the nursery it's a success but we don't write anything based on experiences as much or experiences come secondary let's just put it that way and uh the amount of people just or what we use as like the ruler in which we gauge our success and that's that's crazy like why is it all a statistic that's kind of like i mean it goes back to the whole thing of like people get obsessed over numbers anyway just like we get obsessed over likes or downloads or views. Uh, it's a huge hangup in the Christian cir circle about that. And we get so obsessed with just getting more butts in the seats. Because let's be honest, more butts in the seats mean more volunteers, more, more volunteers. More events. Yeah, more events furthering the agenda of the church and ultimately more butts in the seats, right? <laughs> you know, people invite people, people beget people. And that's kind of the whole purpose of of the whole numbers game in general. But something else that kind of ties into, interestingly enough to me, is it ties into the whole thing about volunteers. 
And you have anything you want to say on that before I get going? Well, for me personally, I would just say like if you are new to a church, I think at minimum you should just attend a church. Just attend it for six months before you decide if you want to be recruited for a volunteer, much less a leader of a group. Churches have this way of making us feel like crap if we just show up and don't volunteer our time for something else or our energy. You know, churches, uh, this is, I'm, I'm just being honest here. A lot of people feel like churches are after their time, their hard work, and their money. And those are all things that like kind of go back to the whole butts in the seats thing. If you have more people in the seats, you can teach them about tithing. You can get more money out of them. You can get more uh, volunteer hours. You can guilt them into that. And I think a lot of times is what it is. If you have on your – those little cards that churches give you when you first go in the door, which I hate, mind you. I understand you're trying to get, like, in touch with people and, like, you need to find a way. But I kind of have this philosophy if someone wants to know about me, someone will approach me. I'm not going to fill out a card for you. It's just not going to happen. I'm not filling out your church card. I don't care. I don't care about your church card. I'm not going to give you my information willingly. Um, this isn't, you're not, it's not a credit card application. I'm not going to go give you my address. I'm not giving you my phone number, my email address, how many kids I have. I'm not giving you my, uh, my uh, gender or my, how what? long you've been saved? Yeah, how long? Yeah, or have you been baptized? Previous church commitments, <laughs> um, race, uh, all of that crap. I'm just, I'm not filling it out. It's just, it's ridiculous. It's extremely invasive on my privacy. It's just, it's out there. You know, you're half that stuff you could find out if you took the time to get to know my name and then just added me on Facebook. So. Or Facebook will just leak it for free if you want to, you know, buy my info off the black market. Either way, but I'm not going to give it to you willingly. And the reason I say that is because we've used those as cop-outs to gain, like, to have real authentic connection. But the thing that irks me the most about those is it's like, become a member, serve, you know, like, get plugged in. That Because churches know statistically speaking when someone volunteers or is in or is volunteered mind you for something and they have a commitment within the doors they're more likely to keep them as members for a longer duration of time and invite more people because they have a a hook or a chain or a shackle you could say there's something binding them to that place now if they feel responsibility to work the coffee bar every other Sunday or to serve as an usher or to, you know, sweep the floors or prep for an event or volunteer for the kids or whatever it is, they're more likely to stay because there's a social obligation there. We're programmed to to do those things, to fulfill those social obligations, and it's easier for someone like that. For one, it gives them an obligation to be there, you know, at this point, like, oh, well, I have to go to church today. Uh, secondly, it gives them like a reason to, uh, to stay around because they have something they have to do and they can't just say like, oh, I don't really feel like doing this now. They have like a, a commitment, a prior arrangement and we don't give people a chance to just breathe. People come into churches and there's the first thing that happens is they're, you know, swallowed up by people trying to get them to give information to show them all their fancy bells and whistles they have, show them around. 
And they can't just go and be and exist. And now I don't have an issue with greeting new people. What I have an issue, like I would encourage anyone to go and greet new people personally. But what I have an issue with is like, hey, go and fill out this card and then show up to our membership class uh, for four Sundays in a row or however long their membership thing, however they break it down. They have once a month or or, uh, for 30 minutes after service every four you know, for four Sundays in a row, however they do it, that's kind of the popular thing in non-denominational culture now is to do it for like, like four consecutive Sundays. And it's just different key aspects. And typically it's like, uh, know the church, learn about giving, learn about the mission of the church and learn about like reaching out or something like that. You know, it's, it, the main two things are always going to be, um, getting to know the church and the people and all that. And then getting to know, uh, about, like the giving aspect and stuff like that. And and as soon as they're into that, it's get unplugged in. And I get so sick of the whole get unplugged in, get unplugged in, get unplugged in. It's this lust to keep people around and then to, I mean, just milk people for what they are. And the problem isn't even that, like, I don't have an issue with people getting plugged into a church. Like I said, I've spent most of my life in church. I have a problem whenever it gets to the point where, we're doing this and we're draining people dry and they have this, this obligation hanging over them and looming over them now that maybe they felt like they were kind of coerced into in the first place. And instead of having the freedom to come to this realization on their own, now they're kind of like, Oh, you know, you give them a card and you're like, Hey, show all the areas you're interested in serving. Well, people out of obligation, typically you're going to fill those out in some kind of way. When you're handed a card, that's like, Hey, where can you serve? It's like this weird obligation. Like you have this this social pressure now where you're like, oh, I have to fill this thing out. And then you feel like you have to go and volunteer. And there's this lust in the church for people, for uh, people's time. And ultimately, it's because the church, I mean, on it, you know, let's just be honest. The church doesn't have the money to pay every single person. Like there has to be volunteer work to make the thing function. But at the same time, in order to pursue its agenda, whichever it happened to may have, good or bad, mind you, I'm not saying that it's a bad thing either, it has to have volunteers to work. And a lot of times there's just this pressure that says like, hey, we need you to do this. But just kind of hop off that uh, bandwagon for a second. I want to talk about something else in the church is the lust for power. And I think this is an interesting topic, and this is not by all means, not at every church, but there are people within churches that have a desire to rise up in authority. It's something to be said to be the head of a department or the main volunteer or the go-to, and it's like this ego trip people can get on. And it happens in workplaces all the time. Like, don't get me wrong, this happens everywhere. People just have egos and they have power. It can be someone like a pastor. It could be someone like a deacon or an elder. It could be a uh, the media center person or the, you know, the head door greeter, the head coffee bar the person. The yes person. Right, the yes person, as we talked about on on uh, some previous, on our previous what, episode 47, right, with masks. But there are people who desire power, and that happens in the church too. And if they can coerce people into a place of, serving or into a place of listening, mind you, then they have this dominance over them. 
you can always tell that the kind of people that always uh, ask or that always answer questions with other questions, that the kind of people that don't ever give you full answers and they always try to kind of keep you in a state of discomfort in order to have leverage. So Elaine, something else you had said in the beginning is you had talked about churches less uh, of other churches. And I think that's a really interesting topic to talk about too. I know a lot of times in youth groups, uh, it's common for like, it's hard for youth pastors to not look at what other um, churches have or the size of their group or the the commitment of their students, et cetera, et cetera. And to think like, man, I wish I could have that. Uh, I know you were talking about like how in like sanctuaries, like, oh, well, this sanctuary looks cooler than that one. So tell a little bit about what you were talking about there. Well, specifically with like facilities and stuff and um, some churches have more of a budget to put more into their light shows or um, more comfortable seating or just um, specifically like you were saying with youth groups. Whenever I was in youth group, uh, my old youth pastor who has actually been on the podcast, uh, shout out to Mark Cox. But I had some friends that went to another church that was, um, in their eyes, a lot cooler. They actually had a skate park that was part of their brand as a church. and Like just, in the sanctuary? Yes. Like, that was basically what the church was. It's pretty cool. I mean, probably, that would cause some lust in some churches. Well, I mean, it, it was pretty cool. But so a lot of uh, students that I was friends with and their friends just kind of flocked to that church. And I know some other churches around in the community were kind of, I don't necessarily would say they were upset, but they realized like some of their people had been, some of their students had kind of dropped off and started going to this church, which was very short-lived, mind you. It only lasted like one or two years. I think they rebranded and moved on or something like that. But in essence, in visuals or whatever, they were a much cooler church than a lot of churches that was around um, where we lived, they had the skate park, they had the foosball table, they had the game room out, out in the back, they had candy, they had monster and rock star drinks, and just like, it was like a fun party, and it looked so appealing on the inside, and not even necessarily inviting, but just, it looked like just a normal teenager's dream of just hanging out with their friends and drinking energy drinks and eating candy and just kind of hanging out and I know that a lot of times church some churches look at churches like that and say well if we had a skate park we could reach these specific people or if we had this small group these people would come and I think those churches specifically need to focus on the strengths that they have and the things that they do have and the people that they do have. Because when you lust after another, if a church lusts after another church's attendance, what does that say about how they feel about their own attendance? That reminds me of that meme that the guy's like walking with his girl and he's like looking back at the other. Yeah. It's like my, or this is like, he's like the church. And then it's like the woman he's walking with would be, uh, I mean, try to make that the cover of this this podcast episode. The the girl that he's with would be like my church members, and then it'd be like the church members that the other church has mm -hmm. or something. Because it's true, I mean, church members lust after other church members, 
I mean, let's be honest, in the modern church culture we have nowadays, we're not converting people to Christ. We're just taking, we're converting people from church building to church building. It's like, how can I win members from the other church across the road? Well, what can we if do? If we have a coffee shop, I mean, obviously that demographic will come. Right. We'll steal them from the other people over there who just have nasty church coffee. Or if our child daycare Sunday school has its own full building, then it obviously is a lot cooler and they know what they're doing. Yeah. And I just want to point out about your story. I hope I'm not taking your wind here, but didn't that church end up closing down? I think so. Um, like I said, the actual skate park in like the entity of that only lasted like a year or two. And I thought it died because a store went into it, which it the building was originally a store. It kind of went away and then a store took over. I thought they died, uh, but like a year or so after, later on in high school, I had a friend that had a, like a t-shirt that had that church. And I was like, is this still even still a church? And um, she's like, yeah. And I was like, well, where is the skate park? And basically kind of rebranded. But even now, like, if you search for them, I don't think... Like, it's just a normal church now, if anything. I, if anything, yeah. There's no conglomerate. Yeah, no more stuff. big fancy. Apparently, you know, the grass wasn't greener on that side of yeah, things. Yeah, like the half pipes and stuff. Who would have thought a half pipe church wouldn't have went over? I mean, I thought it was cool, but I mean, I feel like you shouldn't go to church just because they have a skate park. But if your reach is youth, Maybe it works. Or maybe it fails miserably. <laughs> maybe it fails miserably. But yeah. And so I think the moral of the story is just focus on the people that you have right now. Well, yeah. And when you focus on the people you have, I mean, let's be honest. That's how true, honest growth happens anyway. It takes focusing on those. It's kind of like, you know, how do you grow a relationship? Well, it's not the people who have the strongest relationships are the ones who who invest in their friends over a lifetime, not the ones who hop from party to party meeting strangers. And, like, they may sound really appealing. Those are always the smooth-talking people, the life of the party, the ones that always gather the attention that everyone enjoys when they're around, but they don't have the true friend base. They don't have that true solid connection. And and when push comes to shove, like, they don't have any roots and so many churches lust after attendance like that of other churches. They want to see how they can pull people from those, from their seats to come to, or from those seats to come to their seats and how they convert people. And, and we've kind of lost our edge, I guess you could say in essence, like we're not doing anything. We're not really showing love anymore. It's just about um, switching resources from one jar to the next and, I mean, that kind of goes into the whole, like, especially here in the Bible Belt, churches are overcrowded. And I don't mean, like, people are overcrowding churches. I mean, church buildings are overcrowding the people wanting to there's come to them. There's not enough people. Yeah, there's not enough people to fill all the seats of all the churches. And that's just, a, that's a weird thought when you start realizing that. That's like, what do you do? Like, there's just not enough people to fill all the seats of all the different churches anymore. There's not a need for all of them, yet we keep opening more and more and more and more because someone thinks they can do it better, someone thinks they can do it better, and 
you know, the truth is just the way the church is going right now isn't okay. It's just, it's gotten crazy out of hand. And, you know, we were talking about just kind of rabbit trailed back off to that, but we were talking about buildings and how churches lust after other people's buildings. And it's become this big thing of like, how can we entertain our guests? And, you know, I'm not dogging on videos and lights and all that kind of stuff. But at the same time, where's our focus? You know, uh, there's churches around here I know that have, that kind of pride themselves on the experience. It's like, you know, you have like the Disney World experience. Well, you have like the such and such church experience. And, you know, any of their campuses you go to is going to be the same or, uh, you know, any of the churches branded under that's going to be the same. And, and it's, which I guess is kind of what denominations originally intended to be, but even they don't like each other now. And you have different denominations looking at other denominations, wishing that they could be like that denomination. But then you have beliefs that make them argue. And it just gets to be this big convoluted mess. And instead of just focusing where they're at and, you know, get out of the church mode too. That's the other thing is, we always look at churches and you look at the pastor and the pastor's like, I got to take care of my church. I got to do this. I got to do that. Let's zoom out for a minute. Let's quit looking at things like that's the, this person and these are those people. Let's look at it as wherever you're at in your community, you're called to a group of people. It may not even be in your church, but it's not, you know, would you abandon your friends to go pursue some other random people that you know you know, or just hopping from place to place. No, you're going to stay with your friends. The the same way, like churches, we need to buckle down and look at those people that we care about, those people that are true, and we need to invest in each other. And we need to quit making it a numbers game, quit making it a comparison game, because that never gets us anywhere. The more we look to try to be like someone else, the more we're not who we were created to be. And we try to sculpt ourselves into someone else. I mean, all we're doing is robbing ourselves of, you know, our inevitable creation, the way God made us. So I think that some of these churches that are uh, narrow minded on numbers and how focused they are on other people's attendance, I think that they need to quit lusting after other churches' attendance and start loving their own attendance creating those relationships and if your church is supposed to flourish and grow the numbers will come with it when you're not focused on the numbers see here's the problem i have there's so many people who think the i go into going to church the idea of that just makes them sick the idea they've been so burned by all of this this very thing we're talking about this lust, they feel like they have been that object of someone, some church's affection uh, in a lustful way, you know, in the whole, you know, typical David gawking at Bathsheba type of lust, you know what I mean? Like that's the church in a lot of sense to them. They feel like they've went and they've served their time and then they just got completely drained, completely burnt out and they were used up. You know, they were like, just like coal in the fire that kept the pistons firing in the meantime, you know, kept the heat on. And 
once they were used up as a resource, they felt like they were discarded and no longer loved, no longer wanted. So let's talk about that for a second. Like, what what's the deal with that? I mean, there's obviously, you know, church culture is shifting. House churches are booming right now. And, you know, a lot of people are walking away from church in pursuit of community to do community the way Jesus did. A lot of like what we're doing right here, you know, and have they, a lot of people have turned their back on church completely. And that's, that's not what I'm wanting to talk about specifically, but why do churches just use people up? Why are people a resource to be used instead of uh, what Jesus originally intended of loving them and building them up? Because I think a lot of times we disguise building people up. Uh, we disguise what we're actually, we're speaking of churches, uh, they use the term building people up and in reality they're just uh, burning them out. I think half the time pastors and leadership don't realize that they're overusing their volunteers and leaders. So what what leads to that specifically, though? Just blindly throwing things on them, expecting their, expecting the people who are attending to hop and jump to every volunteer event, um, to step up and start their own small group and specifically with smaller churches there's a lack of resource i think there are some pastors of smaller churches who kind of put the cart before their the horse and thinking well if we have this event if we have this group then these people will, will come we need to just keep piling on more events and more fun things and i think that they lose the focus of the people and start lusting after Sure, the numbers, but just how great of a church they'll be, how how fun of a church they'll be. People will be talking about them for ages, and they're the best church, and I think they kind of lose their focus, and they don't even mean to, and they just keep piling things on and on and on until their leadership has enough of it and leaves. Well, so, I mean, what you're saying is almost like a self-damning behavior, in essence. It's It's... It's literally, I mean, it kind of goes back to the meme that I said of you have people and it's like, hey, I need you to do this and this and this and this because we're trying to win those people. And we have a those people mentality in church anyway. Like we're trying to go out there. Those people, like you have people. Right. But uh, that's just, it's, that's kind of what we're saying is like church culture has a those people mentality of we're trying to reach those people. We're trying to reach those people. We're trying to reach those. We're trying to reach the lost, this very evangelical mentality of we have to reach, we have to reach, we have to reach. The thing that I think a lot of people like kind of fail to realize is, or within church especially, is it's not the church's job to reach people. You know, it's people's job to reach out to people. But essence, in essence, that is the church. You know, it's not the church as a building is just a building. And if anything else, it's a place where people can come together and worship. But it's not, we've taken the church and we've magnified it to this conglomerate that it's it's just not supposed to be. We've given it too much, too much room in our lives. And what I mean by that is the church is a place to come together to worship and to fellowship. It's not a place to, to try to bring people to win them to the Lord, you know? It's not a place where if they can just get in the door, they'll experience the Lord. No, that's that's bullcrap. Like it's you can experience like who God is on in the middle of nowhere or on the streets or and if you're not you're doing it wrong yeah <laughs> you know like 
your experience or the the way people experience God shouldn't only be in church. And if you feel the spirit in church and like you're just so moved on Sunday and then the next morning on Monday it has no lasting effect, you know, I don't think that you are reaching the people that you have correctly. Well, maybe you're just in the wrong place. Maybe that's not what church looks like for you in general. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think we um, put a lust on or make an idol of the church as a building instead of a group of people coming together to worship. And, you know, people coming together to worship is beautiful. People coming together to talk about Christ is beautiful. And that is true church. You know, discussions online about Christ, that's, that's true church. But we have created church into this thing where it is, it's this big conglomerate instead of being a true authentic relationship. And it's become so convoluted and, and so opinionated and so, uh, a lot of times hate filled or, uh, we have this false stigma of reaching those people, you know, air quotes around those people when oftentimes those people are just other Christians that they're trying to win over. And we have this uh, aggressive mentality to, uh, or almost like this beehive mentality to build a bigger beehive to fit more bees. And in reality, that's why, you know, a lot of the big church type mentality is dying off because people are sick of it. People are sick of not being accepted. People are sick of being used up like a resource just to try to bring in more people. And a lot of times it's like, uh, you know, well, if I can just use up this one person, then I can gain two people. And I know people probably don't directly think that way, but they do in that sense of like when they try to do too much for what they're able to. People try to overachieve, uh, and I mean that in a negative light of like, these groups will burn and burn and burn their resources in effort. You know, it's almost like playing a slot machine. And that's what churches have become is, is like, is like a celestial slot machine. You know, we can keep putting the people in or the coins and pulling the lever and burning those resources, hoping to hit the jackpot and have a huge payoff of, more people just put more coins back in it. It's just this constant thing, and it leaves people wounded. And then there's people like us on the other side of it going, something's got to give, and we've got to start caring about these people. You know, We've got to start caring about each other is what it really comes down to as Christians and come together as a community instead of just uh, using people up because it's not fair to anyone to just be a resource. And if that's all Christianity is, then I don't want a part of it. You know, that's not that's not the Savior that I've read about. That's not what Christianity, that's not who Christ was. He was, never was Christ someone to just use people up. Uh, it was completely the opposite. Everyone want to hear your opinion on this. What's your experience with this whole uh, church lust situation? Please go find us on social media and let us know. We have a community to talk about these very things, the Reckless community, and we invite you to be a part. The link is in the show notes below. Please go click on it, ask to join. We would love to have you. We also have a weekly blogs and we have weekly videos. You can find all that on our website and more at therecklesspursuit.com. 
And if you enjoy this show and want to stay up to date, please go click that subscribe button and go to the comment section and leave us an honest review. We love to hear from you guys. And as always, be brave, be bold, and be reckless. We'll We'll talk talk soon. soon.